Ladies and gentlemen, we are now live with the amazing and comparable Miss Angela White. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have this young lady on my podcast. She is such an amazing and prolific producer of comedy shows, films, motivational speaker, coach, you name it. She does it. And ladies and gentlemen, she does it phenomenally well. Miss White, welcome to a conversation with how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you, Floyd, for having me. Honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me and to, to have a conversation with you. Well, good, because you know what? That's exactly what this is going to be. This is going to be a conversation. We're going to just let it take us where it will. What's up, everyone? Thank you so much for joining a conversation with a podcast for and about real independent filmmakers. There's absolutely nothing Hollywood about this podcast, and we're going to dive into what it takes to make a successful independent film on a shoestring budget. We all know how that is. So we're going to talk to some content creators. We're going to talk to some film festival curators. We're going to talk with screenwriters. We're going to talk with actors and actresses to get an insight on what it takes to make a successful independent film, what it takes to be a successful content creator. We're going to run the entire gamut of the real independent film industry. So we are so excited to have you with us. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with and i'm your host floyd marshall jr and and a question that i like to ask all of my guests is how did you get your start in the business yeah i always was attracted to entertainment from new jersey and so everything on the east coast at least in new jersey new york the tri-state area is entertainment driven just like how los angeles and everything in la is entertainment driven so i always had uh an interest in it it wasn't until i attended the university of delaware college where i started being involved with the black student union and bringing artists to the college campus mm -hmm. to perform or people to speak where i got the bug of doing event promotion event production uh, then fast forward uh, a few years later i started interning with a record company I uh, started working a little bit more in the entertainment business, doing events, and at some point transitioned from wanting a career in political science to being more of an entertainment attorney. And oh. the rest of the story just kind of took off. Okay, so you you went you went to law school. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh wow! So you go from being a lawyer to being totally immersed in the entertainment world. So how was that transition or was it a natural transition for you? No, I went to law school knowing I wanted to be in entertainment. So a lot of people oh, okay. in entertainment have their law degree. That's very common, not uncommon. In fact, if you ever want to be a theatrical agent, if you want to be a great talent manager, if you want to be uh, some type of executive at a studio, you're going to have a JD or MBA. So that that's the part of the transition. So before you try to jump into entertainment behind the scenes, you're going to have one of these degrees. So when I went to law school, I already knew at that point that uh, entertainment was going to be my focus. Okay. Yeah. And did you did you actually practice law or did you just get your degree yeah. to just basically? No, no, I practice law. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I, I still practice law. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So how how long how long have you been a, a practicing lawyer? Twenty. Uh, 
almost 23 years now. Okay. So, you know what, let's, let's unpack that for a minute because you spoke about if, if you're looking to be a theatrical agent or whatever, mm-hmm. that that is something that you definitely need to do. And for a lot of filmmakers in general, they tend to love the creative side of the mm-hmm. business, but they kind of lack and let fall by the wayside the business part mm-hmm. of the business. So can you speak can you speak to that? Well, you have to have a business head, right? So in order to have a business head, you need business training. So how could you enter into a field to represent people? And at the time, I was going to become a talent manager. So how could I enter the field to represent people and I have no business training? Uh, so it's, again, another natural progression of if you want to take this as a serious profession, then you need to educate yourself. And even though I didn't go to film school, I knew that I needed some type of education on how business works. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, I always say I wish I got my MBA because that's to me is the most important degree or education you can get if you want to go in the entertainment business uh, because you need to understand structure. You need to understand agreements, whether you're a lawyer or not. You need to understand this. You need to understand management. You need to understand organizational skills. You need to understand accounting. So if you want to be somebody that represents people, if you want to be somebody that wants to be a producer, you're going to need all these skill sets and traits. And you might not know it all. I didn't know it all. But right. if you can get overall education in business, you'll be, you'll be pretty good. So let's just say with everything that you just mentioned, a filmmaker, mm-hmm. they don't want to do all of that, but they just want to make films. Is it a good idea to at least have a working knowledge of how everything works so you don't get caught, well, let's just say, with your pants down? Yeah, you can do that just by being an intern or PA on set and start getting a working knowledge or go to film school. Mm -hmm. So there's many ways to do that without having a traditional degree. Uh, A lot of people, they have film courses, they have adjunct courses, UCLA, even NYU, they have amazing courses you can take for four to six weeks and get an overview training of how film works. And then you can actually put it in practice by being a production assistant on somebody's set, by interning at a production company, interning at a studio, starting in the mailroom. There's so many ways you can do it without a traditional education. Now, a lot of our filmmakers, they do go to film school. They do want to get really the core understanding of how this industry works. And I think that's important, too. I don't think everybody can skip film school. I think there's a purpose and place for film school. Mm -hmm. But it's not the be all to end all. If you don't go to film school, it does not mean you can't be a filmmaker. Okay, because I, I just have to raise my hand on that point because I never went to film school. But what Mm -hmm. I did was I immersed myself in, you know, just reading everything that I could get my hands on, watching as much as I could, uh, looking, looking um, at at, uh, what is it? Film Courage on YouTube, just watching Mm -hmm. anything and everything that had to do with film, listening to people such as yourself, because there is such a wealth of knowledge out there. And unfortunately, so many people don't take don't take advantage of it. And then something happens and then they come to a person such as yourself to try to clean it up after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it happens all the time. And I think a lot of times people don't really know what they're getting into as mm-hmm. well. So some of it's their fault. Some of it's not their fault. Uh, from the outside looking in, the film industry looks easy to a lot of people. Yes. It's like anybody can just pick up a camera and shoot. 
Uh, anybody can rent out their own home. Anybody can rent out locations. So a lot of times people don't know what they're getting into. And until you start really interning or working underneath people, having mentors, you really won't know what you're signing up for. So a lot of people go to film school. They come out of film school. They know nothing because it's different to have theory versus practical knowledge. Right. Uh, so no matter what, you definitely still need to research it. You need to do mentorships. You need to be in some type of interning. You need to be immersed in the industry. You know what? That That is so true because oftentimes when I talk to filmmakers coming out of a four-year school, and, and it's, you know, it's as you said, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But what, what, what they know in book sense, when it comes to practical sense, it's like they're babies. And mm-hmm. when you when you try to explain certain things to them, oh no, you know what? Well, next year I'm going to be, you know, uh, directing a you know a hundred million dollar film, and you're sitting there saying, even coming out of of a UCLA, depending on where you came out, there are steps to the process, and and so many people, for some odd reason, I guess you know what, for lack of knowledge, they just want to skip over the process. Could you speak? So could you speak to that a little bit? The, the process, because there's a process, because you've been at this game for a long time. Um, we've known each other, what, about about seven years now? And, and I've just watched you grow so much, you know, from, from where you were when we met at uh, Peachtree. So could, could you talk about the process a, a little bit? Just the process, the, aspect of the process. The process overall of going from film school to, you know, go, working your way up the ladder let's just say, and, and getting to a point where you, you, you kind of know what you're doing. You're actually, uh, you know, on a set working with people and you have a working knowledge of, of everything that's going on, whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. Yeah, no, I didn't go to film school. So let's preface that. So I don't think you have to go to film school. So everybody's process is different. There, there is no process. So that's the first thing people have to understand. There is no traditional process. You have people who've come out of prison and become amazing filmmakers, actors, and all that good stuff. So the first thing you have to understand is you got to immerse yourself in the industry. Uh, my road is going is totally different than most people's roads. Uh, I was somebody who started out behind the camera. Mm-hmm. So I'm not somebody who was trying to make content. I was somebody who was trying to manage other people who made content or represent people. So my trajectory is totally different. Uh, I'm somebody who was doing business affairs and I was a talent manager. I represented a whole bunch of very famous and talented comedians. And then I kind of lucked up into producing. Mm. Very understand that it was not a thing that just came to me and that happens to a lot of people a lot of people start out on one road and they get an opportunity to go into another direction so that's what happened to me i was given an opportunity to learn producing i took the opportunity Uh, a woman took me under her wing and started teaching me but i still didn't become a full-time producer for at least 10 years Uh, I, i was representing people so that was my road, even though I, at that point, when I started full time, it was probably 2010, 2011. I've already done like eight projects at that point, but I still wasn't a full time producer. A full time producer is somebody who does this for a living. Wow. You don't need a side hustle. So, and then from 2012 to, or 2011 to 2015, I did the most projects ever in my career 12, 12 films, back to back to back, three to four a year. Wow. And that process was partnering with somebody 
who was the writer, producer, and director, and we just knocking these movies out. I still haven't done as many movies as I did back then. So my process is you have to partner with people. You have to get a part of teams. You need mentors. I had mentors. Um, is you going to take it slow because you need to understand the road you're going. Uh, for me, I did many different roads to get here, and I'm going to continue doing different roads. This is not at all where I've done 30 now, four projects, 34, 35 projects. This is not the road, the end of the road for me at all. So I'm always evolving. Wow. You know, now, I'm, now I'm doing other things. So uh, you're always going to evolve. You just have to be prepared to evolve. Um, keep good people around you. Keep people in the industry around you. People in the industry will introduce you to other opportunities. You don't have to just do one thing. So if you start as a writer, it doesn't mean you have to end as a writer. You might want to be uh, in front of the camera. You might want to be a producer. You might, might want to become a director. A lot of writers transition into directors. This is natural. Uh, you might eventually then want to run a studio. Uh, you might want to be an executive. You might want to run your own studio. You might want to run your own production company. So there's many ways to to enter the entertainment industry. I don't want people to think there's one way because it's not true. You can have 10 people in the room and all 10 of us have a different way of how we got in. Literally, because everybody's road is different mm -hmm. and everybody's mm -hmm. success story is different. I think the one thing people have in common is they don't give up. They grind it out. They're open to new experiences because you don't know. Like when I was a talent manager, I would never have known I've been a film producer or TV producer at some point in my career. There's no way I would have known that. But the opportunities were presented and I was open to them. And I think that's what you have to realize when opportunities come it's up to you to walk through the door. It's up to you to have mentors. It's up to you to reach out to people. You have to build relationships in this industry. You have to immerse yourself with the knowledge of this industry, constantly be learning, constantly read people's stories, constantly read the trades. You know, this has to be a eat, sleep type industry for you. It has to be. If you really want to do it full time. When I say full time, that means you make a living off of it. And that's about 10% of the people in the industry. Most people don't make a living. They say they're producers. They don't make a living. And right. What I mean by that, that's how you feed yourself. That's how you clothe yourself. That's how rent is covered. If you're, if you're not doing that, you're not a full time of whatever you think you are, whether it's actor, producer, writer, director. You're doing it. It's not a hobby, mm -hmm. but you're on the road to do it. You're grinding. You still have a side job. You still have a side hustle. But if you want to do this full time, you need to eat, sleep this industry. And so many people, when you when you get to that point that mm -hmm. you just said about eating, sleeping, when you fully immerse yourself in it, when you're breathing it. That really separates the people who say they're about it and those who are really about it because it's so difficult to be successful. in this. It's, it's difficult to be in this business, period. But to be successful at it is extremely difficult. But you touched on something that I want to dig into a little bit. Relationships. Okay. Relationships. Because this is a business of relationships. And so often... Again, you have people, they come from it, they come at it from a standpoint of what can you do for me as mm -hmm. opposed to how can I be of service? And so mm -hmm. often, and, and that, that was basically one of the texts that I sent you yesterday because someone mm -hmm. came in my inbox and asked me to do something for them. And, and, and that was it. No relationship. No, hey, Floyd, how you doing? Is there something that maybe I can help you with? And they immediately said, I need you to do something for me. And I responded with, I charge $75 an hour. Haven't heard mm -hmm. back from them. So 
can you can you just speak uh, real quickly on the importance of building relationships in this business and how that can actually take you further and elevate your career so this industry is 90 percent relationship driven if you have no relationships in this industry you're not going to go that far mm -hmm. because this is a referral business if i want to hire a crew it's usually people i know or i ask people for a recommendation if i want to get a job i usually have to go through people i know or i'm going to get a referral this is not typical where you're in corporate america and you're submitting your resume and they pick you out of 200 people. Now, can you submit for jobs all day here? But 90% of your jobs are going to come from people you know or people who refer you. So if you don't build a relationship in this industry, you're dead in the water on arrival. Mm -hmm. Because at some point, your resume is not going to carry you by itself. It's going to be, do I like to work with this person? Is this a mutual relationship or if it's a one-sided relationship? Because one-sided relationships don't work. There's a couple of people recently that I'm going to end my business relationships with oh, wow. because it's one-sided. You know, if you're only calling me all the time for work or what can I do for you or I mean what you know I can do for them. Right. And it's not mutual. You're never calling me for a job. You're never referring me to a job. You're never even just calling just to say, hey, are you OK? Mm -hmm. Is anything I can help you with? That's a one sided relationship. And those relationships have to shift at some point in our life mm -hmm. where we don't have them because these are partnerships you're entering into with people. You're doing a partnership. A movie is a big partnership. OK, it takes about 60 to 100 people to do it. So everybody's working together. <laughs> and if it's only you are out for yourself. People aren't going to work with you because there's going to be times we need you to bend, to be flexible. And we do stuff outside of work with people we work with. So we also want to make sure we're cool and that we like being around you. If I only see you when, it, when I have a project and you're looking to get hired, th there's no relationship. Mm -hmm. So don't expect hookups. Don't expect handouts. Don't expect me just to do for you. Because the relationship, you made it clear to me, is what I can do for you only. Right. And this is not a full relationship. Right. That's not a relationship at all. That's a, you know, you're sitting there and they constantly have their hand out, which mm -hmm. does not work. And it, it's such, it's such a, an overlooked portion of this industry with so many people because there's a saying, people buy from people they like. People mm -hmm. work with people they like. People work Absolutely. with people they trust. You understand what I'm saying? So yep. if if you're if you're always coming at it from a standpoint, well, hey Angela, I heard you okay. were uh, casting a movie. Can mm -hmm. I be in it? And like you said, well, I never hear from you unless you you see me saying that I'm about to do something, which Absolutely. which is you know. But if if I'm doing a crowdfunding campaign, you're silent. You know, mm -hmm. if 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 you see me, you know, on set and I look a little down, I don't get a hey, are you OK? And, and and most people, they just they just don't understand that. And that's something that I like to talk about all the time. That is a business of relationships It's a business of collaboration, you know, and it's a business of service. Mm -hmm. It's such a business of service. If you're certain I've gotten more by actually just asking people, what can I do for you? 
as opposed to saying, hey, is there is there something, you know, that you can do for me? I've gotten more from just simply and asking people, what can I do for you? But with that, Silver Lining Entertainment, which is your entertainment company, how long have you had that? And what what made you decide that you wanted to go the route of starting your own entertainment company? Yeah, so we started it while I was in law school in 97. It's a family-owned business. I was already doing event production. I was doing comedy shows all around New York City at the time and open mics with musicians. So we needed to have a company. We needed to have some formal structure. So that's why we started the company back then. Uh, I knew back then early on I can't do things in my name. Again, when you're taking your livelihood and your business seriously, you have to be incorporated. So we started the company back then. A friend from law school, in fact, gave me the name of the company, and I've been rocking with that name ever since. Okay, so now you've you produced quite a few films. Now, was that solely under Silver Lining Entertainment, or did you partner with other companies? Because oh no, you, you have okay, okay, because you yeah. have a, a pretty extensive resume. I'm yeah, sorry. You know, so Silver Line Entertainment has about 10 projects underneath them. I partner with people all the time and I'm hired, a hired gun all the time. Okay. So every project is different completely. Okay. So the Comedy Underground series, mm -hmm. how did that come about? How did, how did you get into comedy? Because I, I know well, you said I, that you were representing, you were representing yeah. people. Mm -hmm. So from, from the representation, is, is, is that how you kind of segued into just having your own? No, I was doing comedy shows, like I said, back in 96, 97. That's why we started the company. Okay. So I was always in comedy. Comedy is where I started. So I've always, my whole career has been comedy. So when I created the Comedy Underground series, it was just me paying homage to how I got in the business. I wouldn't be in L.A. if it wasn't for comedy. I would never, never be in this position if it wasn't for comedy. So that's how I started. Started first by doing event production, doing comedy shows. Then I started representing only comedians mm. for years, at least 12 years of just representing comedians. So when I was blessed to have the opportunity to create my own outlet for other comedians coming up, absolutely. Uh, we created my own series and I've created another series, just hasn't come out yet, but I'm always gonna pay homage to how I got into the business and how I started. But I've always had a love for comedy since 95. Uh, that That's a part of me, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's in me. Um, I'm blessed to always be able to put comedians in films and TV as they, uh, start becoming more uh, hyphenates and hybrids of their careers. Uh, so uh, I always have a love for comedians, and I also feel they're some of the best actors, truthfully. So, uh, yeah, that's how I started with the series, just way of paying homage. And I'm always going to try to create an outlet for comedians, for stand-up comedians. Okay, and, and you're absolutely right. Comedians are some of the best actors because they have to think on their feet. Because when you're standing out in front of a live audience and things aren't going that well, you have to be able to pivot and pivot quickly. So when it comes to, you know, giving a comedian uh, direction on set, it, it's relatively easy. It's like the gentleman that uh, hosts our award shows to Ray Gordon, phenomenal mm -hmm. comedian. Yeah, and yeah, we you know, he's he's the host of our show. And we just basically like, you know what? Here's the bite. Do what you do. And he he's 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 absolutely phenomenal. But I, I want to talk a little bit about your nonprofit and working with disadvantaged and underprivileged uh, women of color. So how did how did that come about? Because I see that 
you're you're very generous in your giving. So how how did your nonprofit come about? What what was the uh, impetus behind that? Yeah, so it's called Dreamers with Purpose. We haven't officially done anything yet under the nonprofit okay. though. We started last year, uh, right before the pandemic. Mm. And the nonprofit is just a hybrid of my school, Backstage Pass to the Movie Industry. So Backstage Pass to the Movie Industry is not something that's a nonprofit. That's for profit. But in doing the school, which I started in 2018, there are people who have a need to be a part of the school who can't afford it. And that's why we started Dreamers with Purpose. For people who can't afford it, it's for anybody. Um, we are tailoring it and we focus on people of color, but it's for anybody. Anybody can be a part of it. Anybody in need who needs a scholarship, who might need a way to do a program uh, through Backstage Pass to the movie industry, we do a, we actually shoot a short film every year. And so this is a way that people can't afford the program fees. They can get them donated and sponsored by somebody to at least be on set. Mm. Um, ultimately, where we see Dreamers of Purpose going as a way to afford people actual training, training behind the scenes. Very important people understand that. We will work with people in front of the camera, but right now we're going to focus on behind the camera because that's where the greatest need is for people of color. Uh, people always talk about people lack of representation, the Oscars and, and for actors, but nobody talks about the lack of representation behind the camera. And people have to understand something. If you want to see more representation in front of the camera, guess where that starts? It starts behind the camera. So when Tyler Perry wants to create an outlet for people, he's behind the camera, even though he's in front, but he controls behind the camera. And he's able to hire hundreds and hundreds of people of color to work for his studio and to work for him. And that's how the industry really needs to be. We need to be giving back to people and pull them up because if not, you can't complain about Oscar being so white. You know, Oscar's so white. You can't complain about that if we don't have people in the position to create change. And that's why I started Dreamers with Purpose. Okay, I got a little tongue-tied because what you said a couple of minutes ago mm -hmm. is so true. I was listening to a podcast and they were actually talking about the representation behind mm -hmm. the camera. And how there is such a lack of diversity when it comes to behind the camera. And the, the gentleman gave a statistic. I think it was um, cinematographers. And he mm -hmm. talked about the number of cinematographers of color. And, and, and I think he said it, there was only one. And, and I was so shocked at that. Nothing that I, you know, wasn't aware of because I actually took a look at the UCLA diversity report, which is something mind blowing that everyone actually needs to look at because we look at Oscar so white and we look at the fact that, okay, yeah, now, you know, someone of Asian descent just won best director and, uh, you know, people of color are winning Oscars. But if you look at the C-suites, if you look at the people in positions of power, if you look at the people that are actually running the sets, it's very white. Mm -hmm. And as you said, and it's very white and it's very male dominated. So until that changes, it kind of feels like they're just throwing you treats. Okay, we'll we'll give you a best a best actor. We'll give you a best actress. We'll give you a best director. And that's that's all you need right now. Whereas the real fight needs to come from, as you said, 
behind the camera because when you look at the lack of representation there, it's absolutely staggering. And as African-Americans, we're making some gains. But when you talk about Asians, and then you talk about uh, Latinos, and you talk about uh, American Indians, the numbers were even worse for mm -hmm. them. So that is definitely... Um, something and i'm so glad that you're doing that because that's one of the things with our nonprofit that we we try to do we're, we're trying to teach uh kids of color that hey you can you can make such a phenomenal living and no one needs to ever see your face no one needs to ever see your face and they're like well, well how can i do that well there are certain roads that you can go there Hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. You know, but this is not about me. This is about this is about you. So you you also just did. And let's let's talk about your school for a second, because you were talking about you uh, you shoot a film every year. So now, now, how does that work for 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 our listeners? Yeah. So if you're part of Backstage Pass Academy. Backstage Pass Academy has a producer's boot camp program, and that's where you actually produce the project. We've been doing short films first, and this is a great opportunity for people to get on hands experience. These are for, especially for people who have never gone to film school, people who don't know anybody, people who don't even know where to begin. Um, we do it every year, particularly in the summer. We're getting ready to do a new one this summer. Okay. And then I'm the mentor. I'm the teacher. You're basically working alongside me. So you go through a rigorous three to four month program where first you have to learn the basics of producing and then you have to actually cast the project. You have to pick your script first before the project, before you even cast, so sorry. You have to understand film financing and then you have to actually come to the city uh, that we choose for that particular program and shoot the project. And then you get a credit when it's finished. And so we started this in 2019 it was the first one. We did two that year, one in LA, one in Atlanta. We, and we did one last uh, August during COVID. So we started in 2019 and we've done three projects. It's just a great on-hands training experience for people who really want to learn how it works because I make sure that it's actually done in a traditional way so they don't learn the wrong way on how to produce content. Okay, so is is there you you did a film and I've seen it um, that you produced through your school, Hands Up. That was a phenomenal film. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we 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 submitted it for your festival. You know, see, y'all about you about to get me in trouble. But yeah, it was. <laughs> it's a very. <laughs> I know, but it was a really good film. And in Thank today's climate, I, I, and we're going to talk about that in today's mm -hmm. climate. With everything going on with the trial of George Floyd and mm -hmm. the, the police shootings, 
that have happened over the last few days, which is that that's an entirely different podcast. But talk a little bit about Hands Up and what was how did how did you come up with that idea? Because it's an interesting idea the way you did it. Which which was very interesting because it basically is saying, and it's so true, that nothing has changed. Basically the clothes. Other than that, same thing, different time. So so talk a little bit about Hands Up. Yeah, so Hands Up is birthed from a 16-year-old who's now uh, 17. And initially when he submitted the script... It wasn't exactly what's on screen right now. Um, he submitted a script and it was a lot more detailed. It was a lot of different stories. And I said, are you okay with me completely changing this project and just take four pages from your script? And then I hired a writer and then we did a whole new script. Mm. Uh, I wanted to take a piece. Hands Up takes place in one day. I just wanted to take a piece of his story and show parallels between 1855 and at the time when we shot it, 2019, you know, right now. And this is before George Floyd, this is before the whole Black Lives Matter movement. You know, we were really way ahead of our time. And I don't like slave movies, but the way, reason why we wanted to do something during that time frame was for people to really understand, because there's so many people out there who says uh, racism doesn't exist or the impact of slavery does not impact the people today. And it's not true. You know, this is generational uh, long, serious levels of racism going all the way back to 1700s, really in 1600s. So what I wanted to do was have the same cast play dual roles. So I don't know if you caught that, but the same cast plays oh, dual yeah. roles. Yeah, so they play something during 1855, and then we have them play something in modern day that represents what they played in 1855. Because I wanted to show people that, for example, the master uh, of the house and you know the master of the plantation could possibly be the chief of police today. Yes. Uh, so I just want people to see that the roles really haven't changed. It's just the names, the titles, like you said, the clothes. And so when I came up with this concept, I hired a writer in Atlanta. We shot it on an actual plantation, which is really another experience in and of itself. And um, we had over 20 students participate, and it was just, it was, I think just something very different. Some people get it. Some people don't. Some people don't like it. Some people do. Uh, we've won a, a many festivals, a few festivals already when we did it. But I did it to tell a message. And the message was basically not only that things haven't changed, but if you want to see a change, you have to first admit there is a cultural problem. If you don't admit that this is not generational, if you don't admit, admit that this is something that is a problem, it can't be fixed. We're just gonna repeat it like a dangerous cycle. We're like in a washing machine, we're just spinning around. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's your child, your great-grandchild, whatever it is, they're gonna experience the same thing that our ancestors experienced 400 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so without mm -hmm. giving the movie away, we have some uh, horrific scenes that happened in 1855, but we have horrific scenes right now that are happening on our TV screen with George Floyd and many others. Mm -hmm. So we're actually mm -hmm. witnessing live executions in 2020 and 2021. Who would have thought that? I doubt our ancestors would have thought we would have experienced that in the 1800s and 1700s, but we are. In fact, some people argue we're experiencing brutality at a whole nother level right now. Mm -hmm. you're because people act like it doesn't exist. <laughs> God, sorry. Yeah, you know, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're so right because... I'm I, I, I'm not a fan of slave movies because I always end up getting upset. 
You know, that's why when I briefly watched 12 Years a Slave, I had to turn it off. Never made it through it. You know, it's such an important part of history, but I just have to be in the right mind space in order to watch those types of films. So when I was watching your film, I found myself getting a little upset. And what really got me upset was not so much the master, because mm -hmm. we know how you're built. It is what it is. What really got to me, and you have so many of them running around today, was the black guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say who he was, but you know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And it just was so painful because for you to do what you did to someone who looks like you. And it, it kind of takes me to the president's speech a couple of days ago and then the rebuttal speech by mm -hmm. the gentleman. I'm not even going to say his Scott. name. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to, to stand there and say that racism does not exist in this country when you just watched a trial where someone had a knee on someone's neck for over nine minutes. And then we fast forward to the father shot in the back of the head. And then we transferred to the young lady um, in Ohio, the 16 year old. We could be here all day with this. So when you have, when we're doing it to us, it really, gives it a different feel because you knew what white folk were capable of in, in those in those times because that's just what they did but to have people of color and then fast forward to present day and to see them in cop uniforms doing the exact same thing was extremely powerful so that that was a very powerful film so now how was the mood on set while filming? Well, it was a tense project for sure. And, um, but I think we were all prepared for it. Mm -hmm. I directed it. Uh, I did the story by and really fleshed out with the writer, the story. So I knew it. I handpicked every single actor. We did auditions for two months. We wanted to have the right actor. Uh, so I basically was in Atlanta, Georgia, prepping this like a real film. And by the time I cast every single person, they understood the story and they understood the importance of the story. So I think by the time we had our table read and we were going to start shooting, I think it was two or three days later, mm -hmm. everybody was ready to go. Uh, the mood was tense for sure. Certain scenes were more tense than others. Uh, uh, the little boy, Alfred, and there's fantastic. Uh, there was not a dry eye on set for some of his scenes. He's just absolutely fantastic to be that young and talented as an actor. So there were real tears on set. But again, everybody understood the moment. And when you understand the moment, you rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And we knew this was a story that needed to be told. Yeah, he he is a phenomenal actor. And I actually saw him in another film. Um, oh, yeah. He's done a bunch I of yeah, I, I, it was. He was in a film where a young man was getting married. Oh yeah, Alan Brooks film. Yeah, a, another phenomenal film. Yeah, so uh, he he looks to be on the on the come up and everything. But yeah, he he's he's an absolutely phenomenal actor. And then uh, my good friend Nakia Dillard, 
who always who always brings his his a game. But let's talk a little bit about your recent project that you just wrapped. Are are you able to talk about that? Yeah, we can talk that's, about that. Okay, yeah, that's going to be on on, on all black. I'm definitely yep. looking forward to that. So tell us a little about little about excuse me a little bit about that. Yeah, we just I just wrapped a, a legal drama called Lace. And it's going to be on the All Black Network. We premiere on November 4th. So check that out. In fact, we premiere at the American Black Film Festival. And that night we premiere on TV. And so Lace is great. Lace is uh, something that we don't see. We don't see black attorneys on screen. And me being an attorney, this was a great project for me to be a part of, to see us at a high level. Uh, Lace follows a woman named Lacey McCullough, who's a high-end attorney who represents the elite. Uh, she's somebody you're gonna go to when you need something fixed, when you need to solve the case, when you need to get out of your situation. And she represents the best of the best. And there's a bunch of other lawyers, of course, uh, the most of the cast, they all play lawyers and some of them are wicked, some of them are ruthless and some of them are not. And we get to really see that life of black people at a high level who are negotiating intricate deals, who are dealing with the underworld, who are trying to get people out on a crime, who are negotiating multi-million dollar deals for an athlete. And um, Lace follows a little bit of everything. So when you think of scandal for uh, Kerry Washington, mm-hmm. uh, this mm-hmm. woman who's a high level publicist, that's what Lace is. The person who plays Lacey, she's a high end lawyer and she gets involved in a little bit of everything. But at the end of the day, she just wants people to win their case and she wants to do a good job by them. Uh, but yes, is it get a little messy at times? Absolutely. And that really reflects the real legal industry. A lot of people don't understand lawyers, they get their hands in everything. When you go to a lawyer, usually you have a problem. Mm-hmm. You get it solved. You don't go to a lawyer for good things a lot of times. It usually is like, I need to sue this person or this happened to me or I got injured or I need a prenup or I need an agreement between me and this person because I don't trust them. Whatever it is, you're coming to have something solved or resolved. Mm-hmm. And that's what we show in late. So I'm really happy that all is on All Black, All Black uh, Streaming Network that's a part of AMC. And um, I really think it's going to do some good things. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And basically for all the reasons that you laid out, because so often when we're looking at television, we're not being shown in the best light. Mm-hmm. So when you run across a program such as this, it's so refreshing because you do have black lawyers. You do Absolutely. have... Black people in professional job settings. But if you let television tell it, Hmm. no, you don't. You know, it's usually as opposed to being, you know, the litigator or the defense attorney. It's usually the person standing there as the defendant. That's where Mm -hmm. you usually see us. So it's 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 so refreshing to see black people shown in a light. That, that they're already there, which which is which is which is so phenomenal. So, what do you have coming up uh, besides besides that? What's 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 in the works for Angela? Because you're always doing something. You're yeah, always so, busy. Yeah, so we're always we're always prepping new projects. Uh, we never really discuss them until they are come to fruition. Mm-hmm. But we're always discussing, always developing new projects. Developing a couple of films right now. Um, also working with other teams who are developing projects. Uh, we have 
done a lot in a very short time frame. I've done four TV shows in 18 months. So Lace is my fourth TV show. And so uh, there's a time period of me needing to jump back into movies. So that's what I'm most excited about, that I'm going to eventually get back into movies. I love doing movies. We're going to do a producer's boot camp this summer. And um, I'm definitely gearing up to go right back into a movie or the TV world. I just can't really discuss it yet. Okay. Transgress. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, because that, that, that's your first. That's because I'm. Okay. Yep. Okay. Okay. That was first. Very first. My first time directing and the first project under Producers Bootcamp. And Transgress is a multicultural cast. Uh, we The lead, though, is a, is a white female. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a take on a very famous character in the Bible. So it's a spiritual thriller that we follow a woman who is more to her than what you see. Uh, she's tormented. And two men one night attempt to harm her mm. without knowing that who's really the devil and who's not. So it's a really good cat and mouse and a twist and takes place all in 24 hours. I don't know if you've ever seen Transgress yet, but it takes place in 24 hours where a, yeah, a woman is um, people knocked on the wrong door. Wow. No, I didn't see that. Now, where where can I view that? That is not out yet. We are going to oh. do a screening, private screening for my students because they want to see it. And then okay. I need to license it. I need to definitely get it out there. We did the film festival circuit and I haven't done anything with it since. But I definitely need to get it out there because it's something totally different. Mm-hmm. It's not something people expect will come from me. It's not people people would expect in general. Uh, it's very different, a little different out my wheelhouse. I wrote this as well. Oh, okay. um, this is a part of a feature that I'm doing, that I'm still writing. So this is like the prequel. So if people see the feature, they'll want to know what's up with this woman. This woman is so mysterious. There's so much more to this woman, but it mm-hmm. does, and it does mm-hmm. not meet the eye. Mm-hmm. Then you have to go back and watch Transgress to see how this woman was born and birthed and who unleashed her. Wow. So since we're on mm-hmm. faith base, let's talk a little bit about a question of faith. Amazing film. So so let's talk a little bit about that. So what was the um, how was that idea birth? Yeah, so there's a writer named Ty Manns who wrote the film 10 years before we ever met. Mm. Uh, at the time, I was looking for a faith based movie. Uh, I attended the American Black Film Festival and then it was their 20th anniversary. This year is their 25th. And Bishop T.D. Jakes gave a seminar or panel. And he took a few of us and talked to us in the back. And I was blessed to be one of those people. And he's like, you guys as producers need to start serving a much bigger audience. The black faith church audience is mm-hmm. not being served. And at the time I was talking to my investor and the investor wanted to do a faith-based film. I met Ty at a film festival in Atlanta about nine months prior. Mm-hmm. And I told him, if I ever want to do a faith-based, I'll look you up. So I looked him up. He sent a couple of films. The one I liked was A Question of Faith. I asked him, was he open to making changes? There was changes I wanted to make. He was. I licensed the film. My company did. And then for the next six months, we birthed A Question of Faith. Came out in theaters a year later. Very, very proud of this film. Uh, I'm definitely getting back into the faith-based industry. We already have another project, just not greenlit yet. But uh, I love faith-based because the black community, we church is everything for us. 
Uh, that's the cornerstone for our faith. That's the cornerstone for our, even our foundation politically. Mm -hmm. When something's wrong you, politically, you used to go to a pastor. And I think we as producers do forget that there's this huge audience of people who want to see Christian content. They just don't want to see hokey Christian content. Right. They want to see real content. And that's why I love the question of faith. And I love the fact Ty let me change the script where we gave you real stories that are hard to watch and really see what would you have done in those situations? Would you have lost your faith and how do you recover and come back? And, and that's so inter interesting. It's, it's amazing that people sometimes don't want to see realism in faith-based films. But if you open the word mm -hmm. and just start reading, you find some of the best drama in the Bible. I mean, mm -hmm. you. I mean, you can find when when you know. I, I listen to. Uh, oh, I can't remember the uh, the pastor's name, but he's out of Richmond, Virginia. My, my wife and I we watch him every Sunday. But when he actually breaks it down, you you had some of the the, the most drama filled scenarios in the Bible. So you really can't separate it out because God never uses perfect people. That's just mm -hmm. not the way. That's just not the way he works. But you said something twice that I wanna I wanna talk about really quick because we're kind of coming to the end. You had two people who brought you scripts, mm -hmm. and both times you said to them, "We need to change some things." Mm -hmm. And are you okay with that? And a lot of times, screenwriters are so married to what they've mm -hmm. written that they're like, that's my baby. I'm not letting you change it. So can you talk about that really, really quickly? Because, well, not even really quickly. Can you, can you kind of unpack that? Because there needs to be an understanding that if you're looking to make it in this business as a screenwriter, what you write on a page might not necessarily show up on the screen the way you wrote it on the page. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so... We can't do anything without a script, right? People have to understand a script is the foundation to the success of your project. So what does that mean? Because to some people, it just means it's 90 pages and this, this is it. No, this, this 90 pages is how we determine a budget. This 90 pages is how we determine who's going to be interested in it. Because if the script's horrible, nobody's going to want to be in your script. This script is going to determine whether or not people are going to come out to theaters. So this is the most important piece of the puzzle. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. just because you write the script doesn't mean that's where it ends. No, it doesn't end there. That's, it just starts. You know, if we like the idea, we like the concept, that's great. Now, as producers, and if you are the studio, you have executives. Now we have to do our job and make that piece of content the best thing we can. So we do development. Every single script is developed, and this is developed for months. I just wrapped Lace, but this started in October. Mm. Well, this is six months of my life. Uh, so we're developing the script. You're rewriting it over and over and over again. Uh, the director has a big say of what happens in the script. So you as the writer, you started it, and then as producers and directors, we finish it. We make sure it's the best piece of content because now we have to take that content and bring it to life. We can't bring it to life if we don't work on every component of it. And if the story doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, so we have to make sure it works. A lot of times it has to go through a lot of hands before it's greenlit. There's many scripts that are bought, they'll never see the light of day because they just couldn't get the development right. 
And we have to make sure we have the right cast. If the script is not really speaking to anyone, nobody's going to want to be in it. And a lot of times I have to understand the audience. Distribution's key. If your story can't get distributed, we have to change the story. Mm -hmm. We might like one aspect of it, but it doesn't mean we like all of it. Uh, remember, as a writer, you're just writing, you're creative. You're just writing a story. You're putting a story down on paper. As a producer, it's a business. Now we're going to take the story on paper and develop it into something that can make money for a studio or distributor. We don't want to do it and just sits on our shelf, right? We want it to come out. That's the only way your career can flourish and mine. Mm -hmm. So I have to now look at this script and say, how can I make it the best possible product, the best possible situation that can garner financial success, right? critical acclaim, whatever that success is for you is measured in something. So now we have to start the development process and break this script back down, change it, make it better. You add writers to it. A lot of times directors do get a writing credit because now once the script passes the baton from the writer to the producers, it goes to the director. The director is the commander in chief on set. They run the set. Now our job is over as far as the script. They have to make sure the script is executed and they're going to be on set making changes left and right. Uh, the way that sometimes the line is read doesn't make sense to the right, to the actors. It doesn't make sense to the director. It just doesn't play out. So they're rewriting the script right on the spot. And that's why so many directors get a writing credit mm -hmm. because now they have to bring that script to life. The writer's job is over and the director's job has begun. Masterclass, ladies and gentlemen. And I hope when people listen to this, that screenwriters really take this to heart we're not going to keep you too much longer miss white because you are so busy and uh you know i don't want to start any trouble by having you on my podcast all night because we could talk another hour because you mentioned distribution and you're you're always talking about before you make your film you should know where it's going mm -hmm. And I remember you saying that, and, and that was so powerful because so many times I see online, they've made the film and now they try to market it to an audience yep. as opposed to marketing it to the audience and then making the film. So we're going to, we're going to close out with that. So what are your thoughts on the correct way? to do things when it comes to I'm thinking about making a film first step. Right. So there's different components to this, right? So I'm not the writer. So I could be thinking about making a film, but I need a writer. I need a script. And so for me, the first thing I have to do is figure out what the industry is looking for. So say, for example, right now, right this second, thrillers are hot. That's like the top genre. So if the people I work with, distributors, are looking for a thriller, then I have to go out there and find a thriller. And then when I find a thriller, some industries or some distributors will say it has to be an African-American woman lead or it has to have this. Now I need to find a script that has all these components. Then once you find the script with the components, now you have to develop that script. And then you have to go back to your potential distributors and say, hey, what what type of cast members would you like? Who could you see or who's selling for you or who's performing the best for your network or the best for your studio? And then you want to go and cast people that fit that. So there's always a process when you're doing distribution 
of checking in with who you think your distributor is going to be. So, for example, if you're doing a film and it's an all-male-led genre film and you're trying to pitch it to Lifetime, you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. Lifetime is not going to be interested in an all-male-led cast. <laughs> they are a woman network. So why would you pitch an all-male film to Lifetime? Of course they're going to say no. So you have to understand who the content that you are curating or the content that you're writing, the content that you're producing, who is the buyer? Who is the audience? And then you make sure before you make the film that you're in line with what the audience is looking for, that you're in line with the distributor is looking for. Now, there's cases where you don't know who the distributor would be. And that gets a little tricky. So then now you're taking a risk. You're creating a film and you don't know where it's going to land. And that does happen. Uh, only thing I say in that case is do your research. Look and see what's selling well. Look what you see on networks that you like. Look to see what's doing well in theaters. And ultimately, you can always go to Amazon, worst case scenario, and put your content out there. But I always tell writers and producers the same thing. Before you ever put a dime into the project, make sure you understand there's an audience for it and have an idea of at least three places that you can take it to. Not one, at least three distributors that you can take your content to because I'm pretty sure not all of them are going to say yes. So you need to have options. You cannot rely on just one place to sell your content. And you know what? We're, we're, we're going to, I hope, you know what, from, from the reactions that I'm getting, every, that, that really resonated with people. And I'm so glad that it resonated with people because at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, it's called show business. It's not show whatever, it's called show business. And there's a reason that the word business is bigger than the word show because without business, there is no show. So you you must approach this from a business standpoint. And the thing that I love about Angela is that she really preaches that all the time that it's a business, it's a business, it's a business. So, Miss White, where can people find you and where can they find your phenomenal content? Yeah, so people can find me everywhere at Miss MS Angela White, and that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, doesn't matter, YouTube. Uh, for branding purposes, Google Miss Angela White and every place you can find me. My website is MissAngelaWhite.com. My email is info at MissAngelaWhite.com. Uh, so that's my brand, and, and that's where people can find me. Uh, they can find my content all different types of places. I have stuff on BT, I have stuff on Netflix, I have stuff at, uh, now, which is called uh, All Black, used to be UMC. Uh, if you go on IMDb, that's the best place to see my resume, and then IMDb a lot of times will show you where that film is playing. Um, on Amazon, I have tons of movies as well. Even on Tubi, I'm learning from other people that have tons of movies on Tubi, T-U-B-I, and that's a free uh, streaming site anybody can go on to. So I have content a little bit everywhere, even in Walmart. And um, if you ever want to know how to find content, go to IMDb, put the person's name in there, all their content comes up. And a lot of times it will come up where you can buy it or see it. Okay. So hopefully that helps. That helps tremendously. And ladies and gentlemen, if I have anyone that's watching and you are looking to do this the right way, I'm going to recommend that you attend her backstage pass to the movie industry school. I'm telling you, it is fire. Listen, 
again, this is a business and you want to do this the right way. So why not learn it from someone who does it the right way? Now, you just heard her run down just a small fraction of what she does and what she has out there. So if you're really looking to do this business the right way, because it's a hard business, and the thing that you want to do is you want to set yourself up to win. So if you're looking to do it the right way, please go check out her website. I so highly, I cannot tell you how much I recommend joining that, 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 that class. And I'll just share a, a story real, really quickly. As I said, I met Angela at the Peachtree Film Festival in Atlanta about seven years ago. And I took her producer's workshop. And she said something. Now, it's been seven years, so I can't remember the exact words that she said. But here's the thing. It resonated. And it was something that I could immediately incorporate into what I was doing. You understand what I'm saying? So when people say, well, Floyd, why are you where you are right now? She's one of the reasons I'm here right now. Because it's a business. She approached it as a business. She she taught us to approach it as a business, but more importantly, to approach it the right way. It is so important to approach this the right way. So, Miss Angela White, thank you so much for joining me on a conversation with. I was so excited about this interview all week. And thank you for having me. Thank you, Floyd. Well, appreciate it. Absolutely, Thank you. absolutely. And I look forward to what you have um, in the future. I actually look forward to seeing you again in person when all of this craziness is over. I won't be attending um, the ABFF this year, but I'll, I'll definitely um, be back next year. But hopefully we'll we'll uh, we'll get to see each other and get to see each other soon. But yeah, definitely. I'll be at ABFF and Sundance next year for sure. Oh, so are, are you are you? Going this year to ABFF? Oh, or? absolutely, yes. Okay, yes. okay. At my school goes, we travel to film festivals together. We go to ABFF and Sundance. Nice. We're each biggest school at these festivals. Okay, well, wow. See, again, folks, you know what? See, it doesn't get any better than that. You're going to the American Black Film Festival, and you're going to Sundance. So you've got, you got both faces covered. You're going to one of the most phenomenal Black film festivals out there. I've been numerous times and it is a game changer. And then you're going to Sundance. And I don't think I need to say anything about Sundance because it's Sundance. But with okay. that, Miss Angela, thank you so much. Thank you so thank much. You, I truly appreciate this. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. It was a blessing to be here and I appreciate you as always. And thank you to the whole audience that's watching. Please support Floyd, what he's doing. He's giving you free tips and information that will cost a lot of money other places. So this is great what you're doing this platform. God bless you and continue doing it. Thank you. God bless you as well. All right, Angela, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.